0: Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am also the director of Trees of Hope, which is a nonprofit in South Florida that exists to train, educate, and equip parents on how to protect the children in their life from being sexually abused. We also offer survivor-led healing support groups for victims of sexual abuse. We wanna welcome you because this is our podcast. We hope it encourages you, we hope it inspires you, and we hope you leave here knowing that hope is real, your story matters, and that you are more than just a hashtag. So let's get to our next episode. hey guys welcome back to season two of the not just a hashtag podcast this is episode one and we are so excited to be back my name is nicole escobar and i am your host i'm here with my three lovely co-hosts i'm with mariah who was in season one and Kristen, who was also in season one and we have a new guest speaker who's going to be with us You're not a guest anymore, you're an actual co-host. You're gonna be with us all the time and her name is Holly Friggin. Did I say that right? Pretty much. I think I emphasized the it's part.
1: friggin, but
0: okay, <laughs> friggin', that's kind of cooler. I like that. <laughs> it feels like a curse word. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, Holly, before we get into like why we're here and everything, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you shared on the episode that we did about uh, eating disorders and sexual abuse. Can't remember exactly the number of that episode, but it was probably one of our top hits. (laughs) And so if you haven't listened to that one, please go check it out. Holly comes with so much information on that topic, but just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, so I am a survivor of sexual abuse, and I'm also in recovery from an eating disorder. So if you go back to my episode, you can hear more about my story. Um, But through my journey of healing, I went back to school, and I am working to become a licensed mental health counselor. So I have the honor of working with young children in foster care and who have been adopted doing trauma-focused work. So it's been really, really awesome to get in there right away when they're fresh out of the trauma and to do some of that work in the beginning instead of waiting until the 20s or 30s where an eating disorder or addiction is in a full-blown state. So while it's really, it can be hard to sit with them in such pain, it's really beautiful to watch these little kids doing such hard work and processing that trauma right when they're coming out.
0: Would you say that children are more um, impactful by your work, like not impacted, I meant to say, by your work, like as an adult would be?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I think kids are rock stars. Like, these little kids have taught me so much. They are so brave. And I think what's really cool is they don't have so many layers. So while you know the, the trauma is still the same, they're fresh coming out. They don't have years of layers of shame and guilt and addiction and all of those other things that as adults we come in with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what's beautiful is we can give them those skills. We can use things like EMDR to process the trauma right when they're coming out so that then they have healthy skills
0: to kind of move forward. If a person's child was sexually abused, what would you say to them to encourage them to seek help right away?
1: Um, I think the earlier that you can get in, the quicker that a child can process that trauma. We know that when trauma happens to the brain, when they get in immediately, they can actually do that work right away. So there is so much hope. And the sooner that you can get it in, get them in there to get help, um, it helps them kind of just be able to have those tools too, you know, so they don't carry that shame. Because I think that we talk a lot about that. Um, The shame is what really, really um, paralyzes us as we go along.
2: I think, too, like, I know um, that even in the sense, is it severe enough? Mm -hmm. And I think I know, like, a couple parents that are like, well, you know, it probably doesn't bother them now or it wasn't serious enough that there's trauma there. And so there isn't much of a, like, a drive to get them in there. And just me saying, like, you should get them in. It doesn't matter if, you know, someone, like, Kissed them or made them do this like it's it's there's a trauma because of it and it's still going to affect them So I think like even that in that sense, you know, like just take it Seriously, even if you feel like it's not as effective of something that you would consider sexual abuse Like someone raped them or you know what I mean or it's not consistent enough Like if it only happened one time like aren't they I mean they seem okay Mm -hmm. right so.
1: And I think even on the other side, as a parent, you know, I'm a parent and I know that if my child came home, it's one of my biggest fears. Mm-hmm. So encouraging parents to not feel shameful about that, that you didn't do anything to not protect them. It's not your fault. You know, you can be with your child all the time. And as we know, this happens from people that we know and trust and love. Um, so to take that shame off of the parents plate and to say, you know what, the best thing that you can do is get your kid in there to get help. And that is the bravest thing that you will do. Um, and you don't have to carry that shame.
0: That's good. I love that. I actually just recently was talking to a mom who, or no, I'm sorry. It was a mom and a dad, but the dad was doing most of the storytelling about what had happened to his daughter. And it was basically child on child sexual abuse, or that's what I explained to him. It wasn't experimental because, when she left, she felt, like, disgusting. And she didn't say that necessarily, but she was, like – she said they, someone had – this girl had touched her in her vagina. And um, she was, like he, – he could sense that something was different about her. Like, she felt dirty. And I said to him, well, you need to seek a counselor. And for some reason, the minute I said that, it was, like, whoa, whoa. This is not that big of a deal, lady. Like, chill out. And I'm, like <laughs> – This is a big deal. Do you get that a lot where people will come in and go, like, it wasn't that bad. It was just maybe a one-time thing or something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, my, my population is a little bit specific because these are kids that are in foster care. So they've experienced extreme levels of trauma and abuse. But I do think that a lot of parents normalize it because... I can imagine it's a very hard thing to even accept for yourself as a parent. You know, it's it's so hard to think that you couldn't do something to prevent that. But I think that is our hope here is that we encourage people that like Mariah said no matter how small it is, you know, it is trauma and mm-hmm. it is abuse and if we can empower our children immediately to get that help and there's nothing wrong with having your kid in therapy. I tell everyone like Forget a
0: college fund. Start a therapy fund. <laughs> like every single child, so every single adult
1: needs to be in therapy.
0: I love that, man. Yeah, me too. Good. How different this world would be if we all For sure. just That's had different. a counselor. Well, thank you, guys. That was off-topic, but really good too. For those of you who are new, we just want to welcome you and thank you so much for listening and joining us. Uh, For those of you that journeyed with us from season one, thank you so very, very much for coming back each week as we tackle these tough topics about sexual abuse. So when we started this podcast, we did realize that it's not going to be for everyone, but everyone does know someone who's been sexually abused. So in reality, it is for everyone. And I know it is hard to sit through these topics and hear this this information. And that's why we're trying to change season two up a tad bit to make it a little bit more empowering. We want you to turn on these episodes each and every week and feel a part of a sisterhood, even if you're a guy like I have a brother, I have two brothers, and they're part of my hood, my family, and we want you to feel the same way, and we want you to leave each episode feeling inspired, safe, and that you're not alone. Um, Also empowered to share your story and to maybe do something with it um, to make it something that you can help others with. I know that that's been my life's goal and everyone here on this in some way or another is to help people who've experienced some sort of trauma to walk through it and to um, be able to thrive. So we want to see you develop a resilient mindset so that you can stand firm in the face of your fears, doubts, and discouragement. So before we get into our episode, we want to take a quick moment to go around the room, introduce ourselves, and share who we are and why we're here. Kristen, you want to start?
3: Sure. Um, I'm Kristen Torres. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. And um, I have recently, I would say in the last year or so, um, really kind of changed my focus to trauma. Um, And so just being a part of all of this is is really important. I feel passionate about the topic because I know um, with good, solid information, people can um, get help if they need it or get encouragement or clarification and, you know, all those good things. So glad to be here.
0: And you've actually seen as a counselor, people who've come in who probably were victim mentality, had that victim mindset, who have walked through all the pain and and done the hard work and now thrive oh absolutely
3: sure absolutely yes or um, a lot of times it's coming in with no hope and um, this is as good as it's going to get or I have to carry this with me forever and um, walk out very different I love that yeah so that's a beautiful thing yes
2: and hello Mariah (laughs) but um, yeah that's kind of my experience of like life could look different I could look different um, I'm here just because I'm, I've um, kind of been through my journey and finally being brave enough to work through the symptoms of and the effect of sexual abuse and, um, and just like seeing that, you know, the possibility to have like a different life and identity and how I see the world and myself and just going through that just gained my own voice and even just being here as part of that being part of even just saying things out loud in front of I mean I'm very I'm just tendency to be private but knowing that um sharing what I experienced to just one person who just sparked something in them to start looking at it and you know I didn't even realize how much it affected me until I did start dealing with it and then um in that I've just been very empowered and um, so I'm here in, in hopes to you know give that away as much as I can I love that That's so sweet and honestly because <laughs> I've seen it go
0: through I mean if you listen to season one you're gonna see what we're talking about um, so many people came forward giving Mariah this major kudos for coming out so bravely and so strongly I didn't really see the quietness of that because I got to see the part where you actually shared your story all the time. So it was like, I saw you start off brave and then I even braver and more brave. So that was really cool. And um, just being able to do this with you all, every week is like such a blessing. So I'm very grateful. Thank you, same. <laughs> And Holly Friggin again. Oh, it's Holly,
1: yeah. So I shared a little bit about my background. I think the biggest thing that I'm really looking forward to is just the whole community piece. Like, I know for me, when I was in my darkest days, it was filled with such isolation. So I love that we can have a voice here. And I just want to encourage you, if you are listening right now, guess what? You're not alone anymore. You're not Mm -hmm. alone. And I know for so many years, I felt so alone and that isolation kept me sick. It kept me a prisoner to the abuse that had happened. It kept me a prisoner to my eating disorder. And the moment that I stepped out and started to build those connections and I started to have a voice, even if it's just one person, even if it's just tuning into this, you know, and listening here, Mm -hmm. if that's all you can do right now, it's a start. You're not alone anymore.
0: Your story matters. And there is complete hope and healing on the other side. Um, yeah. So good. It's I love perfect. that. Yeah. And there is so many people struggling struggling with eating disorders that have been sexually abused. I did not realize that until we would posted that episode. And we got so many listens just for that one. Which just tells me that there's a need out there for people to find comfort and to know, yes, you're not alone. There is hope on the other side, but that we're going to do this with you. We're not going to leave you and that we care enough to create such a platform and such a podcast that can meet you right where you are. I mean, that's why we're here. And that really kind of leads me into my story and why I'm here Um About a year ago when we started this podcast, I was on a walk and I just felt this tugging constantly saying, you know, this is something that no one's doing in the way you all want to do it. And I run a nonprofit called Trees of Hope in South Florida. You've heard us talk about it in past episodes. Um, When we started, we started with one person, and it has grown to over 5,500 people who have either walked through our prevention or our healing programs, and it's crazy to know that. Um, But one of the things that I kept seeing was in our healing side is if we have a waiting list for groups that start every quarter, we would have like 200 people on that waiting list. Then, when registration would open, we would have 50 people who registered. Then, when groups would actually start, we would have maybe seven or five. And I'm, I'm like, what is the problem? Like, wh-? so I realized that the problem is, is that people have been dealing with a secret their whole life, and so there's shame attached to that. Which means there's fear going into a group, and I get it. I had the same thing. So I kind of have had to remind myself of what I felt years and years ago when I first did this journey. And so I know, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like when you share your story. You don't know if people are going to look at your story and be like, ooh, that's not really that big of a deal. Or if you're going to look at and you're going to share your story and everyone's going to be like, whoa, that's really bad. You know, that's incestual or whatever. Um, So there's all this shame and fear attached to it. And we just want to meet people right where they're at. We want to, if you're doing your makeup, if you're driving to work, if you're going on a run, I had a girlfriend text me and she's like, I ran and I was, she's training for a marathon. And she's like, I was running and I was listening to all your episodes. It's awesome. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't realize people could run and do that or they would want to, but this is so awesome. So we just want to meet you where you are. And really our heart is anyone, anywhere that you, there's no reason you should not be able to hear the messages of hope and healing and also little nuggets of prevention on these podcasts. So that's why we're here. Um, but a little bit about my story of sexual abuse is when I, I shared this on episode one of season one, but just to go into it real quick, when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by my neighbor. Um, he was somebody that I knew, I trusted, and I felt safe with. Um, he was a little bit older than me, so there was a lot of uh, shame attached to that, thinking that it could have been experimental. And some of those things that, when I did finally share, you know, people say things that are can be hurtful and things like, oh, but wasn't that, weren't you guys the same age? Why wouldn't that have been experimental? And my answer is always because I left there, I didn't consent to it. (laughs) And then I left there feeling a lot of shame and disgust for what had just happened. And on top of it, I had just recently remembered this memory that when he asked me to take my clothes down and he started fondling me, his mom walked in on us. And she told us to scatter. And now I'm standing there as a little kid, six-year-old, and a mother staring at me as I'm naked, thinking, like, you know, rescue me, somebody. And instead of doing that, she yelled at me like I had just done something wrong. So it really impacted my thinking that I was to blame for what had happened. And I had a very close relationship with my parents, still do, share everything with them. Um, But they're naive, they don't get certain things and they thought that i would run home and share that story with them and it's just not true and that abuse went on several other times in front of my mom too she didn't even realize i don't think because i've asked her about it one time we were in the pool and he started fondling me there too so i think in my little child's brain what i was thinking is is well Adults are seeing this and it's okay it looks okay. So what is there to speak up about? And so I'm an adult now looking back on it hindsight's always 2020 20, and you're able to clarify things and kind of give um, you know closure to certain things and that's the only thing my mind can think of is that that is why I did not speak up for many years but I also know that every time I thought about the sexual abuse or the the experience, I had a very good way of just shutting it down and acting like it never happened. It was like as if I just put it on a shelf and said, that was a moment in time we can think about a hundred other things. We just don't have to think about that. And so that was something I carried on with me for pretty much the rest of my life up until I got help and until I actually dealt with it. And when you have years of doing that, just like Holly was talking about, is you create layers of... Uh, becoming emotionless, um, denying certain things, minimizing certain things. So I have a years and years and trails of experiences with people that I did not want to do. Men who sexually harassed me spoke really, really horrible to me. And I just allowed it because I was able to shut it down and put it on the shelf with those other things that made me feel disgusted. It was just like a little Um, box that basically if I wanted to pull it back up I could and if I wanted to just put it away I could do that too.
2: Does anybody know what
0: I'm talking about here?
2: Oh yeah I totally relate (laughs) to all of that. So that was good.
0: um, So I was just wondering love to hear from you guys before we get into it what are some of the reasons why people would not come forward and share their story? Um, You know how they say that children are less likely to share their story or to show that they've been sexually abused. I know Holly says that she's able to work through some of these things with children, but what would be the holdup that a child would not share what had happened to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting is that with the children that I work with, most of my kids don't directly talk about their sexual abuse. So what's really, really awesome is in the work that I do, I'm able to do play therapy and sand tray and EMDR with children so that we're able to process their trauma without them specifically having to tell me they're able to tell me through their play Mm. so I think that's what's really awesome working with children right out of the trauma is that children talk through their play so for them it's not quite as scary to
0: um, be able to tell me what happened to them because they're doing it through play Ooh. I love that. I really, like, sometimes I get sad thinking about the child I was and what I could have gone through if just somebody poured into me just a little bit. No offense, parents, but I know you did the best you could. But if you could have... My life would be so different. Because I think all of us who have a
1: history of abuse, do you remember playing with your play in sexual ways, Mm -hmm. right? I was just going to
2: say that. Yeah, That was
1: one of my first indicators. I remember playing with my Barbies that way. And I was in such a sheltered home that literally all I watched was Mr. Rogers. And I remember feeling like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Why am I playing this way? I know it's wrong, but like I was so drawn to that. And I hear that over and over from people that are survivors is that it does start through your play. It starts very young you know, you're intrigued. It awakens that desire in you. And then you start to kind of portray that through your play.
2: I think that's even helpful to learn for, for parents because us knowing that can spot it. Like I, I can spot it a mile away. I'm like, sometimes maybe a little too obsessed about it I because <laughs> I've seen a little kid, like really small, two years old, like French kiss their, their bear. And I'm like, that's not normal. Like, to like kiss, but to actually go more than that and to be able to say like to somebody, like I would look into that. I would just look into it, you know what I mean? So I think that's important to even learn and and look out for.
0: I love that you said that because that's actually what I told my mom was an indicator. I was trying to make out with her up until I was like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. I used to kiss her on her lips and I would be like, mom, let me just put my tongue in your mouth. Why, what the hell? Then um, I used to take my Barbies, just like you were saying, and smash them together like they were doing it. And I would do some very, um, very, uh, no, worse, than, like X-rated scenes. And I would leave them like that. and And they thought it was cute. And I'm like, okay. So I told my mom that later, you know, in life saying, mom, well, I think there were some things that I was showing you through my symptoms that, you know, the, the way that my dolls were and stuff. And she was like, oh, come on. You know, but how many parents do that? They, a lot. I know it's like, that's not a big deal.
3: I think that's another reason why like something like this podcast is so important. And even the prevention, all of the prevention that, that trees of hope does that you guys do. Um, is just so important because a lot of people just don't have that information and um, or don't know any better or um, so many times too the whole topic of sex is just Mm -hmm. um, or sexual experimentation or or whatever you you know the whole thing um, is passed down almost like from generation to generation like this is what it's about this is what it, it is this is we talk about this we don't talk about this everything's a joke. Um, pet names as opposed to actual names of body parts all those things and none of that is helpful Mm -hmm. to actually have the right information to to be informed that seeing some of these behaviors in children are a sign that something may have happened that it should be looked into should not be shamed all of those things a lot of people don't have that information some people do Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't and so that's why it's so important you know, to be informed mm-hmm. and not stick our head in the sand. Because sometimes that's what people do too, because they're afraid. They're seeing something and they and mm-hmm. they don't want to necessarily face the reality of like, whoa, that does seem out of place or that is odd. Or let's say you went through something as a child and your sexual abuse was never dealt with and you mm-hmm. see something going on with your children. you, It's very possible to really stick your head in the sand because it's like, I can't look at that. Because I haven't even looked at my own.
1: Mm. I love that. I yeah. want to piggyback on that because I was thinking about that. Um, you know, you. I, I love the quote, like, you can only take someone as far as you've gone. And mm-hmm. so as a parent, I think we do the best we can with what we have, right? But I want to encourage you if you're a parent and you do have abuse or you have trauma, you know, you can prevent it from going to the next generation. You can stop that now. We do the best we can with what we have, but then we have the opportunity to take it a step further and to heal ourselves so that it doesn't have to pass on. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's a big, big problem, especially I see with the parents of the foster kids and adoptive parents. We know people that are drawn to do that kind of work, they have a heart for brokenness. They've probably walked through their own stuff. And so to do your own works that you can be fully present and carry that for your child
0: is so important yes it is i was just talking to my husband about this the other day saying we have to have a child because we have to stop the craziness that happened on both ends of our family like the bloodline and create something new something that will be honoring to god that won't have all of these um traumatic experiences yes my children could go through something always but Um, we're going to make every effort to talk through sexuality, sex, all of it, and not make it such a stigma. Like, especially in the Christian world, um, I grew up in a very Catholic home and it was like, you didn't talk about masturbating, rubbing yourself. Uh, When your breasts became developed, you just didn't talk about it. It was like, who do I talk to? I remember my first sexual conversation as an adult was with the founder of trees of hope when she was like asking me about certain things that me and my husband do i was like whoa that is so inappropriate but then i thought about it wow for one moment a woman is talking to me in a very loving way Mm -hmm. yeah she's not trying to make Mm -hmm. me feel shame she's not trying to she was just saying like you know i hope you guys are doing certain things to like you know Get, spice up your life a little bit. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this. And then I, w- and then I thought, well, for one second, let's just talk about it. It's, it's okay. And then when I started talking about it, I went home and I told my husband, I was like, babe, for the first time, I think I've ever talked with another woman about something so like shameful. And he's like, what's so shameful about it? And I'm like, yeah, shut up. You don't get it. You're a guy. <laughs> Guys yeah, and fun. I think
2: that's part of like... When we've just been so sexually broken from like yeah. even childhood that anything like that is shameful and scary and and like how do you even have that with with complete safety? and I think even just um, that in general, just talking about it without feeling dirty and exposed and I think it's a real thing that you just as a survivor you constantly have to deal with and I know I definitely have so much sexual brokenness that I feel like I'm still working through and I'm not married yet and it's terrifying even the thought of it and sometimes it repulses me and feels safer just to not have that and I think too even just back to like talking about parents and and how to talk to a kid when they see things like that happen and the instinct is just to like what you experience with their his mom is like what are you doing that's stop that instead of just like learning how to respond really learning how to respond and even talk to them in that moment and saying what's happening like and and being able to just talk about it and address it like how amazing to educate yourself of that because you know what do you say do you know what I mean? And how do you like approach that?
0: So I know it's like when I think about the t- that moment she, all she had to do was like come running over to me and go, "Are you okay? What just happened?" I know it was her son, but at the same time I'm a naked child. Mm-hmm. Like can you imagine mm-hmm. seeing a naked child? I don't I would have just started bawling and been mm-hmm. cuz I would have known what would have just had happened. But um yeah, I mean, that's truly our heart, is that if you are a parent and you are listening to this and you've either experienced sexual abuse or you haven't, I mean, God bless you if you haven't, but be eyes open and don't, don't put your head in the sand. You can only fix what you know, right? And so that's a huge portion of what we do here at Trees of Hope. So as we get into this episode, we wanted to cover how to have joy in the midst of pain. So before we talk about that, um, what I want to do is discuss how God will speak to us through suffering. So I understand when we come around the topic of pain, it's not something that everyone's signing up for saying, gosh, I just love pain, especially now knowing what pain can produce in somebody. I still don't see people going, ooh, can't wait to experience that, right? So we avoid pain at all costs. It reminds me of a time where I had cut my foot so bad. I was standing on a foot, a baseball, basketball and I sliced my foot down a nail and blood everywhere horrible I absolutely should have gotten stitches but I avoided it at all costs because that immediate pain of the stitches was all I could focus on and so what I did was I prolonged my healing and that taking that prolonged time prevented me from playing tennis running doing all the things that I love to do so it was easier for me to just go well I'll just put those things at the side because I wanted to avoid the stitches my parents really should have been like shut up we're getting stitches but I was such a negotiator that I was like no let me explain to you why this is important (laughs) and they I ended up winning so but in the long run I ended up losing because it took me like six months to heal from that and it still hurts me to this day. If I hit it in just the right spot, oh my gosh, I'll be like, Ugh. when I run, sometimes it's it can be excruciating. And but so it, can I? Yeah, say?
3: yeah. What I mean, I'm sure Holly's thinking that you guys are probably all things thinking the same thing. But what a metaphor right. for for not um, getting help when you need it when mm-hmm. you're hurting, mm-hmm. you know? Because so much of what we do as therapists is sitting down with someone and going back to where the wounds are and taking off all the bandages. And the attempt at bandages and the ointments that were really not good ointments to put on and, you know, having to clean the whole thing out. And the longer it's there, sometimes um, the more painful it is to clean it out. But boy, is it worth it. But the faster you can get to that wound, the better. And sometimes we don't know what's there. Right. Right. You know, going into that, too, sometimes, you know, we do end up minimizing things that we've been through or we minimize it for someone else. You know, too, like we were talking about before, right? With kids in, with, um, once parents learn, may learn that something has happened, like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Um, get it looked at. Yeah. You don't know.
0: Right. You don't know it may have been that bad. Like let a doctor tell you it's not that bad. As yeah. in maybe a counselor can tell you it's not that bad or it's not that traumatic, but we shouldn't be the ones to, cause we have blind spots, yeah. especially when it comes to our own and our own children. Mm-hmm. So um, God, from what I've learned th- about God is that he will use pain to speak to us. He will use pain to help us grow and mature. And, and a lot of times, pain is painful. <laughs> and so in order to be transformed and to have growth, you do have to walk through some of these things that are painful. Just think about growing pains as a child. Um, I know myself, I'm 5'10", so I experienced... All- and Holly's yeah. super tall. <laughs> How tall are you, Holly? I'm almost... Ex- feet tall and okay. I grew eight inches in sixth grade that's like my claim to pain okay <laughs> I, I did something very similar I just like sprout up like so fast but I mean if you think about it that your body was transforming it was growing but without that pain you wouldn't be who you are today and so that's how faith worked it's often like growing pains There is this false teaching out there that will tell you that when you become a Christian or you follow Jesus, that you're going to live a pain-free life. But trust me, that is nowhere. There's nowhere in scriptures that talk about that. Um, God does not promise a problem-free life or a suffering-free life. Instead, the gospel promises us that we can discover joy even in the midst of pain and suffering. Um, I know a lot of people will go through something horrible like sexual abuse, and rather than face it and walk through it, they'll quit and back down because the pain of facing what has happened to them seems way too hard. And that's what we want to encourage you today to do is do not waste your pain. Allow your pain of being sexually abused to move you towards healing. So Kristen or Holly, any one of you guys can talk on this topic, I'd love to know why do people avoid pain or deny what has happened to them?
1: I mean, I think denial is such a survival yeah. mechanism. So you know, sometimes I think we beat ourselves up for maybe living in denial for too long, or why didn't I why wasn't I brave enough to deal with it earlier? Mm-hmm. I also want to say, you know what? Like sometimes denial helps us survive. Mm-hmm. So while it's amazing that when kids can come in really young and I can get in with them and do the work, that's awesome. But I know for me, I wasn't ready to do that yet. I needed to live in denial because I didn't have the coping skills to deal with what had really happened to me. And I think that's a big part of why people live in denial, is they have to get to a place where they have a community and connection and people that can help them walk through it um and on the other side there's that whole depression piece i mean i know i lived in depression and anxiety for a very long time which crippled me you know i couldn't even take the action i I love you were talking about the people that sign up and they don't go like that was so my story because I would want to and i just literally couldn't get my body to get there Mm -hmm. i was so afraid i was like paralyzed in fear which again is a trauma response it's it's how we coped through life you know so just to encourage anyone out there if you're just now for the first time kind of coming to terms with your abuse or you're feeling bad that you've lived in denial that's okay like that's okay too like we get there when we're ready to get there um and i just want to kind of
2: leave that there too yeah, I think that was, that was definitely me. And I think I beat myself over, over like all the things that I was having setbacks in and, and just kind of almost bullying myself still, just still punishing myself in the root of just still punishing myself for the fault that I took. And I think just even giving yourself liberty and um, setting yourself free from even like, just having compassion on yourself. For me, that compassion actually helped me move forward. It did it helped me like be kind to myself enough to value who I was, to walk out of denial, not because I'm bullying myself out of it or I feel like that will make me better, but because I was finally being kind to myself and like you said, learning the skills and the tools how to cope and understanding trauma. And that would have never happened if I didn't have an amazing counselor who specialized in sexual abuse and trauma. teach me how my body even responded and how sometimes you're not even in control of that. And so that's just been the most amazing thing. And we're empowering you just to see and ask the question, could I be in denial? Mm -hmm. Because I have been surviving. And if I've been trying to survive, Mm -hmm. then I must be in denial. And then consider like, how has that affected my life? And I hear these women and wow it, it can be possible mm. that i can face what i'm avoiding and um yeah and just understanding that you may not even realize how much you were in denial cuz i never got angry i was never angry at anyone ever and that was like my what people like praised me for because i was i was being hateful to myself and so like when i finally realized that i was like wow like i finally got angry at the right thing and even after I moved forward being angry at the person now I'm just angry at the act and how it's still playing a role in today's li- in today in people's lives so I think um yeah for me mm-hmm. you're right yeah. that's exactly what I didn't know and then also survival mode
0: Yeah, I really relate to that one. (laughs) The denial part is I was in denial about being in denial. Mm. So because like I was so strong or at least what I wanted people in my little Mm. facade, my little crafted (laughs) thing, I wanted people to see me as, which was like this strong woman, you know, and then by admitting that something hurt me, Mm. that something was affecting me, I felt weak. So I lived in, th- that denial empowered me actually. I didn't even know it, but it was like, well, let's just not deal with that, you know, kind of thing. And that's no good either. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I cannot tell you how strong I feel now being vulnerable and weak, I guess, mm-hmm. is yeah. that's what it is. I When people explain me, If they don't say that I'm sensitive, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Don't you think I'm sensitive? (laughs) And I I used to never be like that before because sensitivity was a sign of weakness. Mm. Mm. And it's just a perspective change. And the person I was six years ago in denial could not have accepted any of this person now, Mm. but it, so it takes time. It's a journey. Mm. It's a lifelong journey. Once you sign up to actually step in the game, step in the ring kind of thing, you're gonna, you're gonna be there forever. You're not just gonna listen to these podcasts and go season two's over, done. No, you're gonna have to start picking up books. You're gonna have to pour into yourself, do counseling, maybe do EMDR. maybe do support groups, maybe teach something. I don't know, but it's definitely you have to take care of yourself and that's one aspect then you have to take care of yourself with self-care by going and having relaxing days and allowing yourself to take time off and allowing yourself to take a chill pill about stuff and i'm not talking about xanax or anything like that i'm talking about like just taking some time for yourself finding out what you love to do what you're passionate about and things like that i mean geez that's really blessed me beyond measures is actually telling myself i can self-care myself can you like imagine yeah. not doing that
2: <laughs> and i think for me oh i'm sorry no, holly go ahead. No, go ahead i was gonna yeah. say like for me i experienced joy And I wouldn't have experienced the type of joy I have now if I didn't feel the weight of my pain finally. And my joy wasn't really joy, and that's what kept me like, I'm good. You know, I'm happy, I'm silly, and blah, 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 you know, but the true joy came when I saw the result of something beautiful coming from something so destructive. And that joy and that proof consistently is the thing that grounds me still to know that one joy is possible and that joy will come even if I don't have it right now. So I just wanted to say that.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's really good.
1: Um, real quick. I just wanted to say to like, um, you may never fully be ready to take the first step. So I also want to encourage you for that too. Like, just kind of push yourself to take that first step the Mm -hmm. first step is the hardest Mm -hmm. and all those like cheesy sayings like just one step at a time like it's so true so if you're listening and you feel paralyzed and fear like I was for so long just pushing yourself to just take a baby step and do it really scared and do it really imperfectly like you don't have to wait until you're completely ready to start your journey towards healing you know it, it is a journey and it will take time and it just starts with that first step.
0: Yeah, I love that. That actually leads me into a couple of the pointers that we wanted you to take away, which is what are some of the positive things that pain can produce in your life and the reason why you shouldn't um, say no to pain. So number one is pain will show you areas in your life that need attention or that need to be healed. So don't look down on those things. Don't like if you have pain right now for being sexually abused, don't look down on that and be like, I wish this would just go away. Um, maybe change your prayers to being God make me brave make me courageous to be somebody who does deal with this and that may just be the first step just like Holly was talking about is just changing your prayer Mm -hmm. to be empower me God to move forward I don't know what the first step after this step looks like but empower me to be strong and courageous and to be brave but I want to just promise you the consequences of not dealing with your abuse are way worse than dealing with it. I promise you, if you deal with what has happened to you, you will start to feel better. It may not be immediate, but it, and it will take time, but you will feel better. Um, you need to always remember that there is purpose to your pain and the response that will help you along the way is always reminding yourself that God can use whatever you're going through. So often we think that what has happened to us dictates our future, but you need to remember that how we respond to what has happened to us will dictate our future. So the ball's in your court right now. What has happened to you does not define you, Mm. but what you do with what has happened to you will guide you for the future. So the takeaway that we want you to have on this point is that you shouldn't do this alone. So yeah, we're here, we're your sisters, we're doing this with you. But maybe consider joining a support group on this topic. And if you're not ready to talk about sexual abuse, there's awesome programs out there like Celebrate Recovery or Grief Share. You don't necessarily have to have lost someone. A lot of people think it's a loss to go to Grief Share, but you can just go in there and talk about some things that are, are sad in your life, and that will comfort you. I think the key is to find a community and to feel safe with that community, um, and to allow people into your life to help you grow, and to share some things with them. Um, Recently at my church, we started going to a Bible study, it's called The Crew, and I can tell you I've changed drastically Mm -hmm. by just simply going and sitting in front of people, listening to how they interpret what God is, who God is, what he's doing in their life, how they're applying the lessons that we learned from the Bible study, and sharing our problems. Like, we go around the room and we say, give us a prayer request and give us a praise report, and we share it, and honestly, when we go around and everybody has a prayer request, But when people are inspired to share their praise reports and they can just get a couple of minutes to start thinking about them, we really should be going on and on and on, right? And then I found that to be the case at this study and I was like, wow, these people are really happy. Like, And that just inspired me. So maybe that be your first step is just get a community around you.
1: Yeah, so like I said earlier, I think that so much of our abuse um, happened in isolation. And I think that isolation keeps us a prisoner to what has happened to us. And when we choose connection and we choose community, that's the first step towards healing. I think we cannot fully heal until
2: we allow other people
1: to join us in that journey.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the hardest part is like, I I know for me, I've learned how to just suffer by myself and silently. And so just letting people into that feels so scary because it feels like such a weight to bear. And I think, you know, there's been times where I just kind of like pull away because I don't even know where to start in talking about certain things. So even just having a counselor for the first time was just my way of breaking through that. And I think that's just the hardest thing is to know like what's too much. Is this too much? Like I'm too much, you know, or you know that kind of stuff. So even just one person, even just one person that you, you know, they check, they they have all the check and the boxes are checked with how safe they are and that you can trust them, um, is just really empowering to get it to the light because like secrecy just speeds the shame.
0: Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the point number two, um, is pain will challenge you to step out of your comfort zone. You said something, Holly, I don't know if you remember exactly what you said, cause it was <laughs> so good. You basically said if it was one step, like you have to challenge yourself mm-hmm. to that. And that's really what this is, is you're challenging yourself to just take these small steps. Mm-hmm. And just like I had said, maybe Praying is your first step. Mm-hmm. Maybe the second step is is uh, telling somebody about your abuse. Maybe the third step is getting involved in a group of somehow, a community group. Maybe the third step is starting to go to church and just starting to feel part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, I know when I first walked through healing and started dealing with what had happened to me, I was in a lot of pain, but I was numbing that pain either by... Um, telling myself it wasn't there, minimizing it, or whatever it was. But I had to learn how to be confident and bold even when I was uncertain of what my next steps were going to be. As I've shared in past episodes, my parents avoid talking about my abuse and act like it never even happened. It's painful to be in a group setting with them and to be bringing up certain things that you are like, very clear, like this is directed from that time in my life. And everyone's just kind of ignoring it. And you feel like you have to be too, I mean, at least for myself, I feel like I have to be a totally different person in those types of conversations, and kind of act like, again, like things are not that big of a deal. And I keep trying to avoid that. I keep trying to, when we do get into these tough conversations with my parents and painful conversations of past and them not maybe being emotionally available or whatever it is, is me telling myself that I can't control them. I can only control me and I have to just continue to walk in what I know is true and not minimize it anymore and just be very blunt and honest without trying to hurt their feelings. And I do have to try to understand where they're coming from. It's like I opened this thing and shared and exposed something that they really wanted to stuff their heads in the sand about that had i had experienced and it is hurtful that i know i told my parents i know or at least i know i told my mom and when i revisited that conversation she said to me that she didn't recall the conversation so it hurt all the more knowing that something i shared so important with her was just so easily forgotten that's how it felt but what i the truth i have to keep reminding myself is that i'm not forgotten she just forgot that thing because she wa- she needed to to survive. She needed to deny it in her own mind to survive. Um so I know it it hurts. Um if you're anything like me, like all of us ladies here on this podcast, it's like We have to step out of our comfort zone. Trust me, doing this podcast is us stepping out of our comfort zone. (laughs) All the projects, all of the initiatives that we've started here at Trees of Hope that have me in center stage, me with Mariah doing videos, us on this podcast, everything is us stepping out of our comfort zone. Trust me, when me and Mariah started doing (laughs) our videos online, we were shaking in our boots, so nervous, and we had to just and just look at each other and be like we got this right like we don't know what it's going to be we don't know how it's going to turn out we have no idea if people are going to receive they're they're going to laugh they're going to be like this is so dumb but I can tell you, I meant to tell you that I've gotten emails from people just saying, "You guys did such an amazing job. Your personalities were so cute and so sweet, and it just made it so awesome. It was just so comforting knowing I did it and turning you guys on each week. It was like exciting. When that, amazing. when this girl told me, I was like, I almost was in tears. Yeah. I was like, it's so, I'm in tears so sweet. I know. I, know. I know just to know that we did something and it made, mm. it changed, it helped someone is like the best. But I wouldn't have known that if I listened to the fears, the down talking in my mind, the doubts. I would not have known any of that. So my encouragement and the takeaway is to remember that everything God has for your life that, ha- that matters is going to be outside of your comfort zone. So the most important step in recovery is stepping out and sharing your story with someone. We know from experience that it can be very difficult to admit that you were sexually assaulted. That was one of my biggest uh, things I was so scared to do. I just did not want to admit that that was what happened to me. And there's also, no matter how many movements are out there and how open it is now, there's still a stigma attached to it. Speaking up can make you feel dirty and weak. And like I had said, it made me feel a sense of weakness. And that really made me not want to share.
1: And I just want to add real quick, like you said earlier, I think so many of us, when we did speak up or when we were seen in the act, we didn't have a voice. So from so long, we lost our voice that as we get older, we still feel like we don't have a voice. So I just want you to know you do have a voice and it matters. Your story matters. What happened to you matters. And we're telling you today, like your voice matters.
0: Amen. That's so good. And you may be worried about how people will react when you tell them. Will they judge you, look at you differently, respond inappropriately? I mean, that's been my fear. I've had so many people, after coming out, they say stupid things like, um, oh, I didn't know you were going through that during that time period, and it's like, and that's not stupid, but what it is is it can, it's like, well, what am I supposed to wave a red flag saying that this is what I've gone through? And, they were, and I've heard people say, like, we were really close. Why didn't you tell me? And, and it doesn't matter why I didn't tell you. What matters is that it's what happened, and I'm telling you now. <laughs> so if that happens to you, just, just remember that people say s- funny things sometimes. Um, it always seems easier to downplay what happened and to keep it a secret. But when you stay silent, you deny yourself help and reinforce your victimhood. As scary it is to open up, it will set you free. It's important to be selective about who you tell, especially at first. Your best bet is someone who will be supportive, empathetic, and calm. And if you don't have someone you trust, like we've been saying this whole time, you've got to have a therapist or someone that you can talk to. And therapists are people that are there to listen and, and there to walk you through how to overcome And so there is a um, therapist that we have here, Kristen Torres, who's on our podcast. She does cost money, and if that's not something you're able to do, we we have a free version of therapy that can help you at the Nancy J. Cotterman Center. So it's not just for people who live in South Florida, Um, This is a service that they offer to anyone, anywhere. And I think it's an underutilized service, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Their phone number, if you're looking for the rape crisis line, and that can be deceiving. You don't have to have been raped in order to call this. It's basically just a hotline that they can um, vet and and sort of screen what the next steps for you should be. But they do offer free counseling. So their number is 954-761-RAPE. And again, that's even for people who don't live in Florida, even who don't live in America. I don't necessarily know how much they can do on video and everything like that, but I know that they can guide you to something in your location. Uh, Speaking of empathy, that brings me to my third and final point, that pain will expand your empathy for others empathy allows us to see something from another side it allows you to see things differently it's when you go through something painful that you can say to someone i feel you i know what it's like i can't change what happened but i can stand with you those are such supportive key phrases that someone can just easily say I know recently a lot of my friends have been texting me some, you know, sad things that have been going on in their life. And I just from working here, I've learned to just say, I'm so sorry, I can't change this, but I'm standing with you in prayer. Me and my husband are standing with you in prayer. We will be thinking about you. We will be praying for you. Can we call can I call you right now just to pray with you? That is just so helpful. I know that because I've had Mariahs do that with me. I've had great girlfriends who have done that with me. um, And it's really changed my life. So the takeaway is to challenge yourself to redirect your pain to help others find hope. Trauma leaves us feeling powerless and vulnerable and needs people like you. There's so many hurting people in this world that need to know that they are not alone and that there is hope on the other side. I'm one of those people who needs uh, that constant reminder that the gifts and talents that God has given me are needed in this broken world. If you want to reclaim a sense of power, one of the best ways to do that is by helping others. So my question to you is, what are you passionate about? Do you attend a church where you can give back? Do you know what fuels you? If you look at the world's problems and you go, gosh, that needs to be solved. What are you doing about it to solve that problem? Even if it's walking dogs, Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be necessarily human interaction because I know a lot of people tend to be more attracted to animals than humans. I get it. I definitely think I love my dogs more (laughs) than I love humans.
2: (laughs) But if that's where you start and that's your first step, then try that. Yeah, I was just gonna say that you know we're not talking about like rescuing people and like pushing all your stuff away and focusing on other people as a way to like avoid but it is it is recognizing where they're at and carrying the key to someone else's healing whatever you receive that could unlock someone else's and I think just saying supportive things like I believe you and I stand with you and this is what this is what I've learned and being able to just listen. There's so many times where people just, again, they, they didn't have a voice just to be able to have, uh, make space for someone, give people space to to talk for the first time and just listen without any judgment, without trying to fix them because we're not fixing them. We're just giving them a, a space to um, talk about freely in a safe place and to just help people feel supported and not judged and something's wrong with them and they're not alone so it's that when you experience that from someone else like Nicole was saying your empathy grows because you see the result of what it does for you and your soul and and just how we are created to connect with one another so yeah that's what I was going to say I love that well that wraps up this episode
0: this is our first episode back in season two. Yeah, and I feel (laughs) like this was a really, really good one. Yeah, Um, I learned a lot in preparing for this and, and just even talking through this right now, so... I love these. Um, I can't wait to be back for episode two. We're going to be talking about myths of sexual abuse and we're going to dispel them and give you some feedback on each one. I'm really excited about that episode because it's prevention and even um, it helps someone who's already been sexually abused sort of to dispel the lies that they may be believing about what has happened to them one of the greatest moments in my life was actually defining what sexual abuse was and having examples of different forms of sexual abuse. Because once I did that, I go, there is no other, this is exactly what he did to me. He fondled me, and if this is classified as sexual abuse, then I have no other word for what has happened to me. Yeah. And it finally bring me, brought me to my knees, really, in, mm-hmm. a, in a sense. So thank you so much for joining us. Remember, hope is real, your story matters, and we love you. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.